This morning we had a, a Papaja ceremony at the monastery going forth, um, giving uh, the going forth to Anagarika Skipper and Anagarika Michael, or Michael, rather, <laughs> who are now uh, known as Samanera Ario, um, the noble one, and Samanera Bodhinando, the one who delights in liberation, body, liberation. Okay. Good thing to delight in. <laughs> um, so, I thought a s- that's uh, obviously a, a step uh, from, from Anagarika to becoming Samanera a bit further into what we call the renunciant life. So I thought a good occasion to talk a bit about renunciation. Um, in fact, somebody asked me about about this in, in connection with the with the uh, uh, with the going forth this morning about the to talk a bit about renunciation, the value of renunciation. Why you know why 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 do this, and also maybe in which way it can be relevant or significant also in, in lay practice. You know, it could easily be per- perceived or misperceived of just being something for uh, the, the those who choose to live the renunciant life. Um, but actually, it's 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 a quality um, that the Buddha talked about and praised in general about in, in, in his exposition on the spiritual path, and it's a it's a particular factor that also appears in the uh, eightfold path, the fourth noble truth, and that of course it's not just for uh, bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, renunciants, but it's for anybody who wants to embark on that. Um, Spiritual adventure, which is the, um, uh, practicing you know, the, the accordance with the Buddha's teaching. Yes, I don't uh, know, can't know, of course, why what the, the individual reasons are for for you to to come here to the monastery to practice, uh, whether you know whether you consider yourselves Buddhists or not, or what your practice is. But I assume many of us come to this and engage in this with an, with an idea, with faith, and that possibility um, of what the Buddha was talking about, the way he was presenting his teachings, the, the, to come to the end of what he called dukkha, or the suffering, or uh, the unsatisfactoriness in our you know, experience of life. And if we got interested in, in that, it would be because maybe have heard about the Four Noble Truths, having read, studied, or you know, applied it, come across it in, in our life, which is the, the, the main, the core um, exposition. You know, and actually, you know, this is the, the first recorded um, discourses the Buddha gave you know, to this, his um, five former uh, companions in, in his, in his um, 
spiritual quest uh, was the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, the, the um, discourse on the Four Noble Truths, in which he explains, you know, his, his basic understanding about the, the the fact there is this inherent and satisfactoriness in life as we know it through the um, senses, the six senses in the, in the Buddhist sense, the five physical senses, and, and the mind as, a, as, an, as another sense organ, which is perceiving mental experience. Um, the fact that he, he considered it wasn't an, an ultimate ontological kind of reality that we're just, that, that just going to have to uh, accept as an ultimate truth but something that's conditioned, that there are causes for that. You know, it's the second noble truth, there are causes for that, and that basically that, that they lie in our uh, thirst for experiences, for becoming, or the opposite, the aversion to that, you know, the basic setup of the mind that, that keeps us kind of inter- eternally uh, seeking for experience, for more experience, which never can ultimately, by its nature, quench that thirst which just keeps us going because it's, it's, it's an experience as such. Um, being conditioned, being, being impermanent can never really give us no, a lasting sense of contentment, satisfaction. But then also uh, in, a, in, the, in the third noble truth that at least the Buddha claims through his um, experience, his realization, that there is a possibility uh, of actually going beyond that energy that drives us, you know, which you call the thirst, tanha, that it's possible to actually go beyond it, to um, disidentify with it, to, to calm it. And that with that cessation of that thirst, then also that uh, dissatisfaction will, you know, this inherent dis- dissatisfaction is a chance to disappear in our lives. So it has very much to do with, an, with, an, with re- realizing a different way of, of being, a possibility of a different way of being without that activity of grasping or some kind of experience or some kind of state uh, of, of being, a self-image or whatever ways this, this might manifest or in rejecting it, trying to get away from it. No matter the possibility to, to completely relax that and therefore find a peace within our experience you know, of body and mind, of the six senses, that is completely equanimous you know, because it's not depending for its contentment, for its well-being uh, on experience on experiences, on any, any, the quality of any of the content of our experience. And sometimes, you know, we talk about if you look at that very directly in, in our experience, what is it in our experience right now, what, what can uh, make that possible, what is it that actually by its nature actually opens up, goes beyond the content of our experience or the content of our, or the, the, the quality uh, of our response or reaction, uh, our attitudes, uh, our ways of relating to our experience, um, usually we point towards um, this this capacity to know. Sometimes we, we call it um, awareness, awareness itself, you know, right? mindfulness would be manifestation of that, that, that kind of attention which basically just knows. Often in the Thai forest tradition that is used as a as a translation for the word Buddha itself, Buddha, it's uh, the, um, um, the way the Buddha actually referred to himself or was referred to after his 
um, realization, his enlightenment experience, and also that's and that is that, that's one way we can um, translate this this word, the, the awakened one, that which is awake, you know, that which just simply knows. I don't know that, that perhaps it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's something that we can relate to in our experience. Perhaps not. Perhaps it's something that yes, somehow it makes sense. Uh, we know, like now that we are sitting here, you no, know, there's a particular content of experience. There are colors, shapes, sounds, you know, physical feelings, probably thoughts, images in the mind, um, the basic sense input, which the mind, sophistic, sophisticated uh, organ as it is, always keeps consolating, creating a world out of um, that we then orient in with, with that world, uh, the sense of me somehow relating to this, to this world. And we know... If we know that, if you're aware of that, then there's also this, this um, elusive quality you know, of, of basically just knowing this is happening. And it can, if you just relax into that and stay with that, it can kind of dismantle so all the mental constructions you know, that's what, um, of, of how we actually construe our particular kind of world that we live in, you know, which is already an interpretation of the uh, basic sense input that we get. You know, we can actually completely relax it if you just remain with uh, with awareness, and can be quite a um, well, quite a surprising certain experience if some of those things that we take for granted because they happen so naturally and immediately uh, suddenly disintegrate. So, you know, as it were, in front of our eyes, you know, suddenly the mind stops making sense out of anything for a while. For example, it's not, of course, it's a specialized like state of mind that we can't usually operate in. You know, this is a good, of course, a reason for why our mind is, you know, <laughs> working that way. You know, creating a world for us all the time, which you know helps us basically as, as human beings, as organisms, to orient, to live, to look out of, after ourselves. You know, it's essential. If that breaks down completely, well, then you're not able to look after yourself anymore. You know? Which is also as if we, if we, if that happens to us, say in meditation, sometimes um, it can be quite freaky, you no, know, frightening, um, and it doesn't, of course, in itself constitute enlightenment <laughs> if that happens, you know. But it, it does can help to give a, a give an insight you know, into uh, how the mind works and how how we actually really keep uh, constructing our world, and it might help to see also how a lot of these. Those constructions happen, of course, of all kinds of levels and incredible complexity. It's really quite amazing, isn't it, how, how the mind does it all the time. And though it is in base, it's, it's, it's a basis for it, it's just essential you know, for our, our uh, survival, our living, uh, also for the quality of our well-being. We can, of course, also see that in there, automatically, of course, are all kinds of particularly ways in which we habitually interpret our world, which might not be very helpful, you know, habits that we create. And, and we know, if you, if you try, if you try, how difficult it sometimes is to change a habit. You know. um, because the easiest way for the mind, of course, to, in, from moment to moment, to recreate the world for you, and with that, the sense of who you are, is, of course, by just replicating what has actually already been laid down in the past. It always goes back to the memory. That's you know. always... Uh, unless we put a lot of energy and attention into that, that's also where the mind will uh, always naturally go back to, you know, the, the least, apparently at least the most ener energy efficient way. You know, just do as we did yesterday. You know, just interpret in the way that we know already. 
And that, of course, lays down deep tracks sometimes in our mind that go a long way back, you know, right into our childhood or maybe even beyond. No? Mm. And a lot of sufferings, of course, bound in there, and in particular habits sometimes that, that we might have uh, created and that then are very difficult to uncreate you know, that we carry along. But then also, of course, of the basic um, ignorance about all those, those processes. You know, we get caught in our own creations of the world, you know, like painting you know, that realistic tiger on, on the canvas and then get frightened, frightened by our own creations. So then... Um, that, that's, that's partly, of course, that, that spells out, or, or maybe it, was a little, it goes a little way in the direction of explaining why uh, also this just simply being aware is not enough, usually. It rarely, rarely, rarely happens that you know, somebody just becomes aware of the fact that they're actually just aware. There's something that's just aware of the experience, and, and that... What is just aware is really just aware, and therefore it's not caught in the experience. So if that, we might recognize that in principle, but usually that's not strong enough, no? uh, an experience for us, that, that it can really be a refuge or something that really becomes a, a liberating kind of place where our attention or mind can abide no? in just being aware. Often, as I like to say, it's like the, the common common garden variety of awareness that we have. You know, that's a certain amount of awareness that's always there. It's usually just not, not enough. So we, we, just, we might see to a certain, certain extent always what's happening, but we might often just feel helplessly caught up in what is happening. You know? So you, you, you might get that experience of yeah, kind of being aware, but being aware of just getting caught into some unhelpful habit again or and not being able to extricate yourself from it. Or perhaps because we don't see deep enough uh, or into the causes that, that keep those habits in place. So it was basically, in, in various ways, awareness is just not strong enough really, so to, to, to actually um, neutralize the, the energies that drive us you know, of, of our habits. And therefore, um, the Buddha didn't stop. It's just um, three noble truths, just pointing out the freedom that's inherent, possible, as a potential in awareness. But there's a fourth noble truth, the, the, the eightfold path, which he basically laid out, which is in a path of, um, of developing the mind, of developing the conditions that, that ultimately strengthen the possibility you know, of developing wisdom and, and finding more, more permanent release uh, from, from uh, the thirst, uh, the drives, the, the energy that, that drives us around, and that you know, hamster wheel of samsara, obviously, you know, after or away from, from experience that we like or dislike. So in a way, in another way, you, you can call it the, the path of purification, isn't it? There's this, this commentary by Buddha Gosa. He called it the path of purification, going into some of those, in more detail, in those practices, into those practices that the Buddha offered. But basically, so there's the eightfold path, and it, it starts off, of course, with the right view, which there are different ways in which right view is, is explained or characterized in the suttas. There's a discourse, Majjhima Nikaya 9, where actually Sariputta ex- explains, is asked about, you know, by his fellow, because what is, what is right view? And he gives a whole list you know, of different ways, you know, knowing what's wholesome, what's unwholesome. 
this is one of the, the ones, I think the first one that he gives. But the, the most common one, and also um, explained there by, by Sariputta, is, is, the, is precisely the understanding of those uh, Four Noble Truths. You know? And so if you understand that, that there is suffering, there are these causes, there's this possibility of of uh, liberation, but there are these uh, particular drives, the energies, which just keep you know, pushing us in a direction which is, which is not towards release, but it's, into, it's towards staying stuck and being sticky, you know, sticking to our, the content of our experience and being carried up with it if it's nice and, and not to our liking and pulled down if it is um, contrary to our uh, wishes. <clears throat> Um, then we know that we, we just, we're just going to have a bit of work to do to, to understand, to undo maybe some of those habits, to counteract some of the emotional habits that we might have developed that, that's, that, don't, that don't help. So there's an element of um, developing positive, helpful qualities you know, to bring if you like, more lightness, more light into the heart and reduce the amount of internal conflict that you might have that, that, that binds our energies uh, and if, if we unbind those, some of, you know, disentangle some of those conflicts, means those energy becomes available. You know, it can become available um, to just then be present, be aware uh, of, of our experience. So it's strength, strengthening then uh, our awareness, our mindfulness, which in turn then will help us to again see maybe deeper, more clearly into some of the, the mechanisms of our you know, un, unhelpful habits. And that, that doesn't mean just habits of what we do, or if we're very greedy or, or, or aggressive towards other people or whatever that we might, you know, might, uh, might observe that, that keep us, putting us into tight corners or being disappointed with ourselves, causing suffering. But of course, internal habits, habits as well, you know, just the way that we relate to ourselves, the way we see ourselves, the way we relate to our own experience, you know, where we get tight, where we are maybe too judgmental or, you know, any, any kinds of things we, we we all have different stories, of course, to tell about that. So there, there are positive, more helpful qualities to, to develop on the other paths, more the paths of discernment as part of it, you know, to, to understand and to see more clearly as the unhelpful ones, so that then we can actually, if we start to understand how we're doing it, we can start to learn how not to do it, you know, how to discontinue um, um, that, that investment of, of energy. And so that's interesting that, that therefore then in the, in the Eightfold Path it translates directly in, in, in what the Buddha called uh, right intention, samasankapa, you know, intention, so very um, important in the Buddha's path. The Buddha's formulation, the Eightfold Path, he, he points out this three par- particular ways in which to contemplate, to develop right intention, you know, counteracting or what you would call kind of unhelpful or if you like wrong intention. And one of them is the um, developing um, uh, kindness as, as opposed to uh, aversion, you know, an attitude of well-wishing towards ourselves and other beings. And the other one is the second one is about non, non-cruelty or harmlessness as opposed to cruelty. And in a way that I think that is very immediately obvious. I think from you know from the contemplation of the four noble truths, not just as a as a good idea, something that happens just in the, in the thinking mind, but just as if, if you think of it as an, an opening of heart, if you really understand the truth of suffering, 
and what, what perpetuates, what creates and perpetuates suffering in sentient beings, not just human beings, but the same we can observe it, of course, in animals and, and you know, all around us, in, in, in um, sentient conscious creatures. I think we'll be, become aware of the, the pain that is involved, you know, like endemic in that, and that striving, all the striving all around us, in us and around us, which is in some way or another, some, some form of striving for happiness, but is often in, you know, small or strong ways somehow distorted by ignorance into ways that are unhelpful and in fact uh, often don't lead to happiness, but, but, you know, maybe lead to happiness sometimes, you know, some satisfaction, but, you know, depending how um, distorted by whatever forces, woundings or misunderstandings, whatever our, our view understanding is, the more actually unhelpful results that, that, that striving for happiness will create, you know, suffering. In ourselves, we'll see it, and around us, we see it. And if we are, if we really see that and open to that, you know, in the heart, not not try to, you know, release some of our own defenses against it, the more we just feel the pain of that, and and the response of that, I seems to me, I mean, then that's what the Buddha certainly found. That was the natural response of the heart, and if it's undefended, would be compassion. You know? We feel compassion. That means. Um, we don't want to add uh, to this by creating more, you know, creating more suffering, you know, and so that will naturally then develop an, an inclination towards well-wishing and and, and harmlessness. Mm-hmm. And as a practice, and a pro- I, 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 I trust, I mean, you know that that's that's part of what's what's happening, isn't it? When we start to meditate, we start to compl- uh, contemplate, we, we start to see things more clearly, and it's not just the clarity of mind of observation, it's a clarity of heart. We, 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 sometimes we just notice we feel things more, we become more sensitive. You know? We notice things around us and in ourselves that maybe before we haven't. You know? We might suddenly notice something that is actually where we are actually cruel. Maybe, you know, cruelty is not just you know, torturing other beings in, 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 in an obvious, blatant way, but it can be in, in small ways, you know, just by by not acknowledging maybe somebody else's pain, just brushing them off, whatever, can be a form of cruelty, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of it's certain hardness or something. Well, we start, maybe start to get sensitive to that, and then we just feel the pain of it, and then that becomes part of our contemplation, isn't it? If you have an aspiration uh, towards the end of suffering, then we, we don't just justify it or believe in it, we just, oh, we think, right, we look at that, we contemplate that. We see what is, what, what, what is this about, what is behind it, and usually probably find some pain in ourselves that's underneath it, some wounding, whatever, that we somehow protect maybe by certain callousness or trying to deny or turn the other way, not look at, or just defending or just projecting it out, you know, kicking somebody else. <laughs> uh, this is sometimes can be a way of not of trying to not, not allow pain inside because we don't want to feel the hurt. And in, in the same way, of course, um, with, with uh, aversion or kind, or, or in, in the opposite, the kindness. No, I just I know there's always a kind of a small epiphany that I once had I, if, when I was uh, reading a, a Dhamma talk by Ajahn Sumedho in, in the Forest Tongue newsletter at the time, and he was talking a lot about this welcoming suffering. You might have heard that from Ajahn Sumedho, or the fact that real, you know, sometimes. 
we pick up this idea of letting go and we are not aware that actually this what we're trying to let go is really sometimes a form of aversion. You know, we just try to let go something. In reality, actually, we're trying to push it away, make it go away. You know, if I let go, then it's going to go away. And he, he, he kind of suggested it might be a better translation of just letting be. You know, so really letting go of something, letting be, when we really stop resisting something. You know, so if it wants to stay, you know, then... What we really let go is our resistance to it. We don't actually need it to go away. If it goes away, fine. It might be our preference, but if it wants to stay. You know, if we can develop, find that in ourselves, the, the strength to really welcome something that we don't like, um, then we I really found a, a source uh, of deep uh, equanimity, contentment, you know, which is probably a true kind of undefined awareness, that which awareness really can provide. To really just know something that we don't like you know, and, and allow ourselves to feel that, you know, just recognizing it, accepting it. I really don't like this. It really hurts, maybe. And, but I can just stay with just knowing that and just knowing my initial reaction of aversion or whatever and just relaxing that and just allowing it to be there. Now, that can be, that's actually what where deep experience of letting go can actually come, come from. And so one way in which to make it more clear to our own mind is to actually to highlight more when that's actually not really happening and we think or pretend we are, what we're doing is letting go, is to translate into actually welcoming it. You know, so, okay, you are welcome. And, and he, he uh, illustrated that with, with an experience that, that, that he naturally um, had, or probably still has. You know, some of you might have been at Amaravati, a very big place. A lot of people come there. I mean, a lot of people are coming every day, uh, offering dana, coming for the mealtime. And I'm not quite sure how he does it now, but I think usually when he t- tends to be available after the meal for quite a while for people who want to come and, and see him. And he was just reporting in this talk about how interesting how he saw his mind, you know, how he would react and how he would see how he would like. He would see people, of course, often would come and express their appreciation. You know, come after the meal, something come to see, being really inspired, want to see the senior monk Ajahn Sumedho and, and praise him and, saying, and thank him for his teaching and saying how wonderful Amaravati was for them and how much it helped him. And yeah, of course he'd like that and, 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 and wants it, you know, <laughs> and would welcome that. But then he, if he would spot somebody sitting there looking very miserable or angry, you know, and he would kind of know, so, well, this, this person now is going to takes it, that chance to come forward and talk to him, how he would kind of close down, you know, or he would cringe and feel that he didn't want that, you know, just kind of go away, or just trying to find a reason for having to get up, you know, right now and leave the sala so that he didn't have to, that he didn't have to hear what he would expect, you know, now someone comes, maybe some criticism or something like that. And then the, the just reflection, oh yes, this is actually, we can then easy, easily just but, well, depending what our conditioning is, our habits, I judge ourselves for that. And just, but just recognize, oh, this is actually just natural, isn't it? Because none of us really, or very few of us, I guess, will like suffering or negativity. So that's quite, it's quite natural so that, 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 that we have this first reaction of trying to escape you know, and not wanting that. You know, I've, I've already got enough suffering myself. I don't need you know, anybody else coming with their suffering. I don't want it. I don't want suffering. Yeah. It's a very useful realization. Just suddenly, just realize, oh yes, this is just this is just natural. This is just a natural movement of the mind. And once you see that, and you can relax around that, stop judging for yourself. Then, ah, suddenly there's actually more 
energy available for just making space around it and just being aware. So it's, oh, this is just natural, but I don't have to believe it. You know? I, can just, I can just factor that in, feel, oh, yes, there's this, this impulse of rejection or whatever, but then I relax it. Probably also we all know it can actually, once we overcome this first resistance, can actually be very deeply satisfying actually to be able to be with somebody else's suffering. You know? We might or might not be able to, to help them, you know? but I was just being able to offer that. But it's a beautiful thing to do, and it's also deeply inside, I think, satisfying because it, it's, it strengthens and, uh, our own centeredness and, and increases the space you know, that we have available in our heart for ourselves and others and gives us also this extra confidence. And, you know, all the more if we really then actually can feel that if it has been helpful to somebody else. Those are qualities then in, in, in right intention, if you put our attention there, which is something that we can pay attention to in ourselves, where those are actually natural qualities that we have, that we then can strengthen and, and cultivate, and the Buddha encouraged that, you know, to cultivate that. And those are ways in which that will then give more quality, quality, more texture, more strength to our awareness, you know, will allow ourselves to actually experience awareness in a more more full and less defended way and are going to be ways, the more that, that we actually develop those qualities, that, that gives then actually awareness something, a direction also to, to look for, to look, to look you know, the, the, where the, the suffering actually is, you know, where, where, and where there is kindness or hardness and a way to actually relate to that, you know, with kindness, with harmlessness, you know, to allow ourselves to develop more um, space, openness of heart. And those are then things which are carried forward, isn't it, through the, through the other, through the following, the remaining factors of, of the Eightfold Path, and, and they, they, they will then, or, or hopefully, should um, manifest and can be practiced in those various ways of, of skillful or right uh, speech and action and livelihood, and, and therefore will then give the, you know, a foundation you know, for the uh, more specific kind of qualities of, of an effort for our meditative or practice of inquiry in, in, in our formal meditation. So right effort, right mindfulness, and finally leading to right concentration. But then there's um, this, this third factor of right intention, and actually it's the first one that the Buddha mentioned, and that's precisely um, what's called nikama sankapa, or uh, the intention or inclination towards renunciation. And I guess to some significant degree, I was uh, Samanera Bodhinando and, and uh, Aryo must have got that in themselves or developed that uh, for, to, to really make a, a very significant um, this kind of step to take this on, to develop this, this intention. On a more uh, focused um, renunciation path, but it's a quality that that I think we recognise as something that's it's not just and and you might this might to some of you might you know what we are doing here I, I don't know what to think about it but it might seem a bit like particularly in the in the context of, of our present culture almost a bit kind of extreme you know so it's quite quite out there making such a statement you know, giving up um, so much of possible gratification. Central gratification, and, and, you know, possibilities of personality development, and whatnot, and all the kind of things that are available. Um, 
for us, particularly in the affluent society that we're living in. Um, but it is really a, a quality that, 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 in some way or another, the same like there's always some awareness, you know, whether we, we actually consciously cultivate or practice this or not. There's always this, 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 this attitude, possibly the quality of, of renunciation is something that, in some way or another, we always, in, I think, in, engage uh, in life. Now, there are different, different kinds of renunciation and different factors, conditions that can lead to renunciation. There's renunciations through understanding. Say, like, if you really understand the Four Noble Truths, Second Noble Truths, causes of suffering in a deep way, if you really understand, realize in a deep way of something is um, not helpful for your well-being or, or unwholesome, it doesn't have to be unwholesome, you know, in, in, in a moral sense. That could be one reason. If you really see that, or you really understand this doesn't, this really leads to suffering, really understand in a deep way, then there might be a, you know, this letting go happening, which in some way you could call it a form of renunciation, to renounce that, you know, the renunciation to understanding. It's something that, that happens to us every now and then. It might happen as we learn, as we grow, as we mature. And of course there's renunciation as practice, which is a different kind of thing, which is more, the way I understand it, is more about focusing um, one's energy, no. which so it's 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 a form of of if you like of concentration, of concentrating focus, concentrating energy. That uh, if you don't apply some form of renunciation, otherwise it's going to be dispersed you know, or further dispersed. You know. And I would think that like all of us, you know, there's so many possibilities in life, anywhere, anyhow, for a human being. You know, so all the possibilities that we have. This is an endless amount of things that we could do or where we could invest our energies. So we all have a, some more or less conscious or maybe very conscious or not so conscious priority of, kind of, say, of, of, of interests, you know, some of, of things that are important or less important to us. And we know, depending how focused we are on a certain kind of interest that we want to pursue, we need, you know, we need to invest some energy in there. And that means that as you know, possibilities of what to do are infinite, but our energy isn't. You know, that, that however energies we might have, it sometimes we, it means we have to um, subtract, you know, some some investment of energy in some things in order to direct it um, to what we are more interested in. That's, this is a form of renunciation. Like if you want to study to make a degree, you know, that would be an, an, an area where sometimes, you know, during a certain period of your life, you have to maybe quite focus, you know, to get get your degree to go through the examinations and all that. And that implies usually some amount of renunciation, you know, which is actually something that, particularly in that age, when you go to university, can be very difficult you know, because it's usually more like the age when, you, when you're young and the world is still kind of in front of you and, and with all kind of possibilities, you know, to try to live it all isn't it, and try it all out. Um, it can be quite difficult to actually f- focus you know, on just on studying um, with, 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 an, with an aim you know, into, the, into, the, into, the, into the future ahead of you and giving up for the time being uh, other gratifications maybe that you might find immediately more interesting you know, but that, that ultimately you know that it's going to get in the way of your long-term plan. And as I, I mentioned earlier to somebody today, certainly that's something I, I can speak from experience because that's probably one of the reasons I think why I never finished any degree at university because I didn't have that. <laughs> I, I, I do remember how much I was 
um, yeah, I was interested in, in all kinds of things. And I found it just very difficult to just focus on just focus my energy, you know, and onto one thing, uh, giving up other things. Uh, in particular, to focus on, on my studies at university. I was, in, was fairly interested, but not interesting enough that it was really captivating me so much as to spend my time in closed rooms, libraries, or my own with books, and reading, 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 and studying, studying, studying. I just it was, it drive me mad. I just wanted to go out and enjoy myself. Consequently, um, I gave up university pretty early <laughs> and did other things, and then lived out a lot of... of the interest that had more immediate appeal to me, more exciting, more interesting. Um, then, obviously, at some point, renunciation caught up with me, and I ended up here. It's still a bit of a miracle to me that I made it that far. But it can help, of course, and it's perhaps the, the case with, with these two. They're, not, they're still at a fairly young age, but not that young. I guess if once you're over 30, I imagine they probably both have tried out a lot of central gratification on all kinds of levels and <laughs> it helps of course having maybe tried out um, lots of things, a few things and found that it really doesn't really in the end maybe lead to you know, to what is maybe the, the highest in, in, in our level of priorities of goals, aspirations it doesn't really feed that and if you haven't actually got too stuck in, in unhelpful habits that we don't can't extricate us from them, then we can still maybe at some point when we're, once we're jaded a bit uh, pull the brake and try out something else, you know, try out what happens if I just let go of some of those things. Not yet letting go maybe of, of a deep you know, realization, understanding, but letting go as a practice. And what happens then is, of course, you focus the energy and that does, does of course, various things, things to you. And that's one thing, again, which also in the spiritual practice, therefore, I find applies very much also for lay people, something to... Um, to be interested in as a general energy, as a practice to look at, you know, in your own ways. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't mean one has to be more monkish than the monks or something like that. It's just really to, about just to be interested and just find out what is actually, how this can be a helpful kind of inclination, helpful kind of in, intention and experiment, you know. One thing, of course, it, it, it can be useful for, it can keep us out of trouble. No? <laughs> if certain things I don't engage with, some particular things that we know that are maybe um, not so wholesome or grey areas, well, if I just if I manage to just cut sort of renounce those, and well, it just in some ways can simplify certainly simplify our life in many ways. That's one reason why why this this form exists and why people do this. It does, you know, cut out some kind of complexities and of that, you know, we can be involved with in lay life, you know. That's one thing, simplification, getting out of trouble, simplification, more energy available to focus. It can, of course, also in, increase in some ways. It can in, in, increase uh, the, um, the trouble that we might have experienced in the mind. That can be, can be, if you do it skillfully, that's why it has to be done skillfully. It can be something that can be very helpful in practice, also in terms of giving the giving awareness something more to actually investigate, to look at, and to find out a bit more uh, about those habits and the mechanisms, the mechanics of the habits that we have that lead us into trouble, you know, or that cause suffering for ourselves. Um, because as, as um, it contains the energy, means it sometimes 
it highlights those kind of things. It puts more, it puts a bit more pressure onto it. Things sometimes suddenly come more to the forefront. It can be very easy sometimes to say, oh yes, I'm just, I'm just doing certain kind of things, but, uh, I'm not really attached. You know, I'm just, I'm just quite aware with, as I'm going along with my life and I enjoy myself, this and that, but I'm not really attached. But sometimes we only really notice or find out how attached we actually are. You know, it's dependent on certain kind of experiences. Then we try to give them up. And that, that can, of course, can provide a um, lot of insight. Can, first of all, actually show us first of all, some of the things where we are actually attached and whether we are sticky, de- de- dependent on, on certain kind of experiences, certain kind of situations, getting things our way or something. So that, that we, 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 only then we actually get a, get the chance for start to actually practice with those things and to actually understand that there might actually be something to investigate, to look, something to undo. Mm-hmm. But that's of course often what we what we find if we if we pick up this kind of life, you know, we see, you know, because you don't just be uh, taking on this rope and all these kind of rules, you don't suddenly become purified. You know, suddenly what happens is all the energy that before you know, our drives, our thirsts, you know, our needs, uh, be it for experiences, beings for certain kind of uh, sustaining certain kind of self-image of ourselves, at so many outlets and things, if suddenly some of those get cut off. You know, that energy doesn't go away. It just suddenly gets concentrated and flows then with, with more intensity in those directions that it still can go. Yeah. And often, often when I remember, so for, certainly from my experience, one of the first, in the first years or months, uh, it takes the time it takes, uh, it can be just a very, very, very heightened attachment to food. You know, and, 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 and internal dramas around food becomes a real kind of problem. You know. Uh, just, just, just the amount of um, craving that suddenly one can can experience for, um, you know, a Mars bar or something. <laughs> that if you, if you see that if you if you come you, you go through the kitchen maybe and something you see there's just there are four Mars bars on the servery, but you are the fifth in line, you know, and then it's just uh, the, the mind starting to fantasize and hope and think whether those you know to remember whether those monks that are in front of you in the line whether they are interested in mass bars or not and whether you're going to get a chance for that mass bar you might never have been a you know, mass bar never been on your life in your lay person because of course there are so many more exciting things in life that you could you know you'd never have to experience that, that kind of greed of the more humiliating you know, kind of attachment but that, that again, once if you if you can relax enough, you know, then we can start to realize, oh, this is just what it is. It's really just this craving for experience, you know, and you just get it in, in an intensified, you know, more distilled kind of form, you know, it's in its pure form, you know. and it gives you, of course, a chance then to to contemplate. You know. And if if you've got what it takes, at least, you know, in order to to keep actually the 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 form, the rules around it, then it gives you a container in which you can actually contain this energy and, and can allow it to burn and can burn out actually a lot of that kind of stuff. And after a while, it just becomes more relaxed. And so then then once that, that goes away, then usually afterwards, very obvious one with, with monastics can be the views and opinions. Because you can take a lot of things away from us, and that's what this form is about, you know, a lot of those possibilities, you know. Eating what you want, when you want, gone, isn't it? 
going where you want, when you want, gone. You know, you just, there's a lot of restriction. Also, that's, it's another one that's just very difficult, that you just not, you just can't do what you want when you want it. Just as very, just giving up and just being, having to be a, a renunciant for 20, 20, you know, how do we call it, 7, 24, 7, you call it, or 7, 24? Well, 24 hours, 7 days a week, you know. Yeah. So if you're a lay person, you might have to do what your boss tells you for eight hours a, a day when you, when you work. But then usually that's, that's the mindset. Isn't it? But then you bear with it because then you get the money. And with the money, then afterwards in, in your private time, you know, at least to a far greater extent, you can let out a totally different personality and do what you like. You know? In a monastic community, you've got those rules they apply all the time, you know? whether other people are looking or not. You, know? you are looking. <laughs> And that can be very hard. But the one thing that, that nobody can take away from us are, of course, our views and opinions. You know, we can, other people can contradict them and maybe can tell us to shut up for the time being. But certainly privately, we can keep hold on to our opinions. And when somebody asks us or when we start a discussion, then we can give our opinion about something. Mm-hmm. So that's something where then, then, of course, a lot of that energy can, for example, um, concentrate. Yeah. And that's the same, I think, is in, in, in lay life um, with anything. If you really get enough enthusiasm for something, you know, something you're really interested in, like if you're Tiger Woods or something, and you just really your life is just all golf, you know, or you're a musician, uh, obsessive, you know, kind of focused composer of opera music or something, then it becomes very easy sometimes for somebody. For if you know, not that many people that focus on one kind of goal or interest in their life but if that's the case they can often be really uh, don't care about any other kind of things around it in their life you know? that should be very just oh, don't mind never mind you know, but it's because all this whether I do mind is just focused in this one activity and of course if you interfere with that uh, then, then they very easily become very itchy huh? or we become very itchy other of us are maybe it's more bit, bit more dispersed you know or, Investments, you know, a bit more, less, less focus on one thing. But see, in your own life, like what happens, you know, if you practice with that, you know, sometimes, and, and you said skillfully, not, it's not, renunciation is not a moral issue. You know, those are the, the five precepts, you know, are, those are about, about, about morality. Those are more about those other two elements of, of right intention, you know, how to develop harmlessness um, and to develop kindness. You know, in some ways, those are the basic two energies which then you know, I ex- ex- expressed and practiced through the five precepts. But then the renunciation practices go beyond that, and it's really an idea of intensifying our practice, intensifying our energy. And one has to do that with, with a lot of care. Hmm? Deciding, say, for example, one day a week not to watch television. Hmm? Those things are, of course, individual. Some of you are, might, might not even have a television, you know, just because you can't be bothered with so, invest your energies in, in that kind of activity. Other people, uh, you might really enjoy television and, and, and watch that. So wherever you are, say, it's just an example, isn't it? The interesting thing is, what I always find is other people tell me, like if you do give up watching television on Thursday, kind of, uh, kind of Murphy's Law, as it were, would, would say that soon you will find out that all the really interesting television programs are going to be on Thursday. You know? Or even more programs that you really have to see for some professional reason, you know, your teacher say, and that's really where they suddenly, you know, some colleague alerts you that on Thursday they're going to give this program, this is really interesting about the stuff that you're going to use for, can use for teaching at school or whatever. No? 
until then the mind starts starts to starts to come up with new ideas. No, well, maybe I should then give up on watching television on Wednesday, but I'm going to watch television on Thursday. And and of course, you know, the universe conspires, and let's see, programs are going to be changed. <laughs> I just just observe how what the mind actually does. You know, once we are a little bit unreasonable and renounce things, even if they are uh, morally perfectly justifiable, the mind actually has become so reasonable and it's actually so reasonable, so clever that it can justify anything really, you know, anything that's in line with our convenience and comfort. You know, because uh, renunciation is really about giving up comfort, but getting us out of our comfort zones, so that we see a bit more how what we do, how our minds operate in order to get away from what we find uncomfortable and get back into our cozy kind of corners where we are cushioned, you know, against suffering. Hmm. But it can, can ultimately, this is a very powerful tool in practice once, you know, we get closer to the fire where it hurts, where it burns, and where things then also can burn out, where the possibility of freedom lies. I think it's in Ajahn Munindo used somewhere, I think, it is uh, in, the, in his book, Unexpected Freedom, possibly in the talk. There's a talk on renunciation, I think, in there. It's talking about how you can compare the mind or awareness to, um, to coal dust, you know, which in spiritual life, you know, if, you, if you want to develop that common garden variety of awareness, which you can compare to coal dust, if you want to give it the purity and strength of awareness, that can sustain actually the kind of wisdom that leads to liberation, it has to be transformed into a diamond. You know, we know that basically it's diamonds are just, you know, it's, it's carbon, it's where carbon dust, you know, just, but it's transformed. It's you know, what you need in order to turn uh, coal dust into diamonds. It's just an enormous amount of heat and pressure. And that's that's how they are created, you know. It's, that's, and that's what, renunci- what the renunci- renunciation only provides is heat and pressure, you know. But then the interesting thing is what it uses that example for is well, you need actually a, a good container for that, you know? because that's that's what happens. Like if if you know this coal dust is put into a con- has to be put into a container, which is then put under in this container under a lot of pressure and with a lot of heat. Of course, if this container has a crack or it's not sound, you know, then it can create a lot of mess, can create a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's in order to actually practice renunciation and live with the intensification that renunciation uh, produces and provides and get the benefit from it, we need to go about it quite, quite carefully. We just have to pay attention to build up the proper kind of container uh, to, to, to actually to hold our energies. And those are all the kind of things that are implied in the precepts in developing um, moral standards and so forth, and to go about it in an organic kind of way. No? So that's an advice against diving into the intensity of intensification of renunciation into too much of a kind of all or nothing kind of way. No? Just experience, experience with it and building up strengths.